Well, as we've said before, it seems to me that God implanted in all of us certain desires. And one of those desires is a desire for greatness, a desire that can go in many different ways. But let's just confine it today to the kingdom of God. Uh, what might seem to us a small contribution to the kingdom of God might be seen in God's eyes as great as he realizes we are doing things for him. As we continue our study at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus states to us the motivation and the method for true greatness in the kingdom of God. Today we'll largely look at the motivation. Now the motivation in this passage is typically limited to where Jesus says at the end, I am with you always, and we'll be largely looking at that next week. Just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us, having died on the cross and rose from the dead, Jesus is teaching his followers that now it means it's time to proclaim the good news. Let's just call it this. I call it the gospel offer, the gospel offer of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that that is a free gift, but it also comes with a gospel demand. And what's the gospel demand? There is a response to what Jesus has done. There's a response required of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus called it repenting and believing. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn. To turn from what? To turn from our sin. Picture yourself walking away from God. Turn from your sin and turn back to God. That is to repent. Jesus said you must believe. What does that mean? It means to trust in Christ. No longer trusting in yourself, not saying that you're going to heaven because you're a good person, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And so you must respond to the gospel offer with the gospel demand of repenting and believing, turning and trusting. Now, everyone who truly does that enters into the process of becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus, which is referred to in the scriptures as being a disciple. A disciple is not some super Christian. I know a lot of us think that's what it means. It's not what it means. A disciple is simply a learner and follower of Jesus. And when we are a disciple, we are charged with proclaiming the good news to the world but not just telling people, also making disciples. As we like to say in our church here, helping people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. Not enough to just to say that you believe, but you also must be walking with him. So I want to read uh, our text, and this is the whole section I'm going to read, but our main focus today is on verse 18. Matthew chapter, eight, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We covered those two verses last week, this week's verse. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all. We're going to pay careful attention this week and next week, particularly next week, to the word all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, so that's another form of the word all, even to the end of the age, amen. So Jesus says, I have all authority. He wants us to go to all nations. He wants us to teach them to uh, people to observe all things, and he is with us always. So what is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is simply telling the apostles, and maybe there's other people there as well, to make more of what he has already made them to be. He made them followers of Jesus, and now he wants us, the disciples, to go out and make other followers of Jesus. This is all part of what we said is the Great Commission. That's what this passage is called, the Great Commission. We cited last week that only 51% of Christians even know about what the Great Commission is, or 51% don't know. It's a 50-50 kind of thing, and which is a, not really a good thing because that is a major part of Jesus' purpose in coming to earth and a major purpose for the church. The sad part is this about the church. The church is often marked by lots of unbelieving believers. I don't mean people who just show up at church and don't believe. That's a, that's a whole other discussion for another day. But all of us at times can be unbelieving believers. We say we believe, but we really don't trust Jesus when we need to. We're not focused on that. I'm not saying that's always easy. Now, I don't want to make any enemies here, but a very big part of the problem is, is that in most churches, not only are they full of unbelieving believers, but they're also full of undiscipled disciples. People who say they believe, but they've been not been taught the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that people don't use the Word of God. I'm not saying that people don't read the Word of God in church services, but very few people are actually taught the Word of God. Now, you might be sitting there going, okay, that's fine. I get it. I get it. But what gives me the right to say anything to anybody about Jesus? Yeah, you say, I have no authority. People say, who do you think you are? I have no authority. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And the title of our message this morning is The Great Commission Part 2, The King's Authority. Our focus today is verse 18. Let's read it again. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Another version puts it this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let's use our imaginations for a minute. Let's go back up to the mountain. There we are. We're standing there with the apostles. And we're like, what are we doing here? Well, Jesus said to meet him here. He said he was going to come. Said, don't he told us to uh, come a little earlier? We got there before him, and then now he, he starts to come towards us. And as we're standing with them, and remember, they had failed, they're doubting and wondering what's going to be said by Jesus. Kind of in slow motion, the risen Christ begins to walk towards us. Now, let's go back to verse 17. It said, When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Yet in verse 18, despite their doubt, Despite their failure, Jesus came. Didn't give up on them. Didn't stand them up. He didn't just say, hey, I'm close and turn around. I want nothing to do with you. Jesus came. 
If you're watching us today and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, we're really glad that you're joining us today. Do you know that's really the essence of the good news of the gospel? The good news is that, is that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And here we see he comes. He comes to the apostles, comes to other disciples. The apostles were disciples, but not all the disciples were apostles. Comes to you today. He comes to me today in the climax and conclusion of Matthew's gospel. Jesus also comes close to us, and you can experience this on a, on a daily basis. He comes close to us in the pages of the Bible. He comes close to us when we're full of faith. I mean, things are going great. We're really full of faith. God's really blessing us, and we're just worshiping and faithful and serving him. But Jesus also comes to us, it says it right here, when we doubt. Jesus comes to us when we are confused. Jesus comes to us even when we are unbelieving believers. The great story in, in Mark chapter 9, it's one of those stories you just, you know, maybe as a, as a dad with three kids, I, I think about it. And what happens is this man has a son who's demon-possessed. And you know when you're a parent, you just want life just to be great for your kids. You're just so worried about them and concerned about them all the time. And Jesus says to him, hey, you know, if, uh, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believe. And it just says that the man doesn't go, oh, okay, great. I believe. I got it. I got it. I got it. No, it says that he cried out to Jesus with tears. I mean, he's so emotional over the state of what's going on around him and, and, and his little boy or his son. And I love what he says. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, man, you better get it together. And I'll come back in another couple days. No, Jesus healed his son. Well, why does Jesus come? Well, we said earlier for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that we would put our trust in him. But often he, he comes to bring us what we need for an overwhelming task. He comes to bring us strength. He comes to bring us peace. He comes to bring us power. He comes to bring us calm in the midst of a great storm. For any follower of Jesus, it's so important to remember that Jesus is our king, that Jesus is our master, that Jesus is our savior, that Jesus is our friend. I hear a lot of talk of people talking about Jesus is our friend, and he is our friend. Please don't think I don't believe that. It says it in the scriptures. But this time, in this season, I think I'm looking less for a friend and I'm looking more for a king. I'm looking more for a ruler. That has been something that has been such a big part of Matthew's gospel, that Jesus is the king of the cosmos. You see, the, the cross and the resurrection was not just so we could have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, although, trust me, that would be enough for me. It's not just so we could have a holiday and, and call it Easter. But it was also to 
put us on the path of great things like this great commission. So what Jesus is doing now is very, very important in this moment. Jesus has been the one going around uh, telling people about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same thing. He's been uh, going around preaching the good news of the gospel, teaching people the correct things about God, not the man-made stuff about God. But now what's he doing? Now he's going to pass the torch. Like a relay race, he's going to pass the baton. He's not going to take us all the way physically to the end. He passes it on to the apostles, who passed it on to the first century church, who passed it on to church after church after Christian after Christian, all the way down through the ages and down to us. And once again, Jesus promises to be with them and to be with us during this mission. In this passage, known as the Great Commission again, I think many people mistakenly read it and kind of gloss over it if they're familiar with it. Or others, they don't really think of it as the Great Commission. They might they seem to think of it as the Great Expectation. Like this is what God expects from you. So let's let's have our guilt portion of the sermon for a minute. How would you grade yourself? How how, how are you doing at this? How are you doing at, at spreading the good news to others? Now I know a lot of you beat yourself up as a miserable failure. You think you're just this is just horrible and you don't know why anything why God has anything to do with you. Some of you, though, you're on the other extreme. You think you're pretty awesome. You'll get in anybody's face you can and tell them about Jesus. You don't care whether they want to hear about him or not. Or there's another thing that we do. Particularly we do it in the Northeast. We tend to leave it up to the professionals. We think, I don't have to be good at it. I don't have to be bad at it. I just leave it up to the professionals. And so, you know, some of you have been at some places where you've heard people call me Fada Jim. You know, it's a New York kind of way of saying it. Well, I am a father, but only three people get to call me dad. But we don't leave it up to the professionals. We, we don't need to consider ourselves miserable failures. And we don't need to think that we're really awesome at it. Because in all of those cases, we're not naturally doing it. We're just not sharing out of the overflow of our hearts. I believe a big part of the problem is, if we miss verse 18, we miss the entire point. It's not about you. It's not about me. What Jesus says here in verse 18 has been a key theme for Matthew and provides foundation for the mission and, dare I say, for the entirety of the Christian life. It's all tied up, not in the Great Commission, but in the great claim of the Great Commission. And that's tucked away in verse 18, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I mean, just think about it. He's going to say something next week that really exp explodes in the hearts of the apostles, I believe. But, but just think about it for a second. The man who many saw as a poor carpenter from Nazareth turned preacher just claimed the authority of God. And that's really an amazing thing. That's why the religious leaders killed him. 
That's why they brought him to the Romans to be crucified, because he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed the authority of God. Jesus Christ is God become a man. You say, well, how do you know? Well, you probably sang it sometime at Christmas time. You sang the song Emmanuel, which in chapter 1, Matthew told us that means God with us. And God took on the limitations of humanity. And now the risen king tells us, the eternal risen king, Jesus Christ, tells us those limitations are gone. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus did not have great authority when he was here on earth. I mean, that's very easy to see. All you need to do is look at all of the miracles that he did. But that authority was a limited authority. It was limited to the areas in which he traveled and the people he met. And now there are no limits to his authority. We celebrate Christmas, the arrival of King Jesus, but really we see the fullness of the arrival of King Jesus on Easter morning and later in his ascension into heaven and his being seated at the right hand of God. May I be so bold as to say that verse 18 is the most important verse in the Gospel of Matthew. It is the essence of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. He is saying that he has the authority of God. My dear friends, it's not about what you or I do for Jesus, and we should do things for him because we love him and we're grateful to him. But it's about what Jesus has done for us, and it is about his authority. So before Jesus commissions us in verses 19 and 20 with the Great Commission, he wants us to know that he has the authority, the power to do so. So when you are part of bringing the gospel of the good news to the world, you can understand this. Your authority comes from the very top. It doesn't come from anybody else but Jesus himself. Now, in the scripture, authority is a little bit different than we think of it. We tend to think of it as just some boss or somebody who thinks that they can tell us what to do. But in the scripture, authority refers to being able to act and speak as you please. Jesus tells us here that his authority is absolute. And friends, at this time, I want us to all remember, though we might not understand it, Jesus' authority is over a virus. Jesus' authority is over the world economy. Jesus' authority is over your own personal finances. Jesus' authority is over your fear. It's over your anxiety. Because Jesus' authority is even over life and death. His authority is over all we see and all we don't see. It's over heaven, it's over earth, and of course, everything we see in between. It's important to know that Jesus is not saying that he will rule the world someday. He's saying that his authority exists now. That reveals a great mystery to us and lifts a veil that seems to cover our eyes sometimes. 
when we wonder where is God at a time like this. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How does he give the knowledge of the glory of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some of you out there, you might want to know what God is like. Read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. He will tell you what God is like. Patient, long-suffering, tough on people who are teaching false religion. And so let me ask you, friends, do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Do you want that? That can be you today. Simply turn to God from your sin. Put your trust in Jesus. Now, it might sound, might sound odd to us that Jesus says his authority has been given to him. But the apostles were Bible readers. They were raised, you know, good little Jewish boys, if you will. They were not scholars. They were tradesmen, largely. But they were I like that. They were common kind of guys, but they were what we might call scripture-studying Jews. They, they studied the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and these words would have great meaning to them. Maybe not in the moment. Maybe they're just mesmerized in the moment, but when they thought back on it, it would have great meaning to them, and we'll look for, the, for that, we go back to the Old Testament, and we listen to the prophet Daniel. Daniel writes these words over 500 years before Jesus arrives. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. He writes, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. We've been saying over and over again in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' favorite name for himself is what? The Son of Man. Now, we think of him as the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. He's truly God and truly man. In fact, when he told the religious leaders that, that he was this guy, that he was, that he was this son of man, they tore their clothes and, and were just, they were just, oh, I can't believe he said that. So again, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. That's one of the names of God in the Old Testament scriptures. And they brought him, the Son of Man, near before him, near before the Ancient of Days. Then to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, there's that word all, nations and languages should serve him. So now we are all to serve Jesus. His, the Son of Man's dominion, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass and his kingdom, the Son of Man, the one which shall not be destroyed. So the risen Christ, who called himself the Son of Man all throughout his earthly ministry, claims the right to all power and authority in heaven and on earth, and he says that authority was given to him 
by God. The Ancient of Days gave that authority to the Son of Man. Now, does that mean the Ancient of Days retired? That he thought, hey, I'm old. It's time for the new. Not at all. Why would, why would he say that? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Here in Matthew 28, we see that all of God's authority is mediated from God to us through King Jesus, whose cross and resurrection brought about great peace between God and man for anyone who would put their trust in him. Now you say, well, I, I, I'm fine with God. I'm, I, don't, I don't leave him alone. God says that we are his enemies because of the way we live our lives. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's look at the comparison. Let's stop comparing ourselves to really bad people. Let's compare ourselves to God and how often we don't do what God tells us to do. And so he sent us a mediator, Jesus. Now, now this is Jesus announcing a new error. It's interesting. When Jesus was here, he said, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. But now the one who came to serve is to be served. Now the king has been revealed. The Lord has been revealed. And in the second coming, the judge of the universe, Jesus, will be revealed. Or when we die. In Matthew chapter 4, the devil offered Jesus power over all this world without having to go to the cross. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Like, forget that cross silliness. I'll give you everything. I'm in charge of this world. No problem. I'll give it to you. And he makes the same offer to all of us. Forget that Jesus stuff, man. You can do what you want. Don't worry about it. Hey, God forgives everybody in the end. Come on. Didn't you know that? It's everybody lives happily ever after. Something the scripture never teaches. I mean, would it be fair to make people who hate God to go to heaven? That wouldn't be fair of him at all. And even the movies know this is true. And even the movies, sometimes you see that people sell their souls to the devil. They accept an offer. Does that ever turn out good? I mean, even if Hollywood knows it doesn't turn out good, we should know it doesn't turn out good. To accept the devil's offer is to accept tyranny, ultimately, and slavery, and prison. It's all just a lie to separate us from the love of God. Yet, to accept the rule of King Jesus opens a phenomenal door to you, loved ones. It opens up a door to God's new life, God's security, and to be able to flourish in this new life that he has given to you. Now, this idea of Jesus' authority and this new life that you have does not mean that the world is what it will be now. It doesn't mean that you are what you will be now. 
it's actually a very, very slow process. For the Christian, it's something we call sanctification. It is the process of God making us change and more and more like Jesus every day. Some of us wish it would go a little faster. I know I'm definitely one of them myself. So what is God waiting for? Actually, God is waiting because he is full of love and he is full of patience. The scripture teaches is that God is waiting for people to repent. And while I know a lot of people think, well, if God would do this for me, give me this car, this job, this spouse, this house, these kids, this whatever, bless me in ways I couldn't imagine, then, then I would repent. Then I would turn to God. You know, that almost never happens. Because we somehow get the idea that we did it ourselves. Or we somehow get the idea that God must be pretty happy with us, so that's why he's blessing me so much. It actually takes really, really horrible times. Really, really difficult times. Really, really desperate times for us to see just how desperate we really, really are. Right now, for most of our lives, we've never seen the world this fragile. Never. And we are a desperate people. And it is a scary time. But may God use that desperation to get us to turn to him because he has all authority. It's time for people who have never put their trust in Jesus to come under the authority and the love of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the big shocker in all of this, which we'll talk about next week, is that the king who has all authority has chosen to make his offer of forgiveness of sins and eternal life to be adopted by God. It's not only that you, you're just forgiven, you're actually adopted by God. We've said many times before that you know, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to ask them to come live with you. So God says, I'll forgive your sins if you trust in me and my son. I'll adopt you. I'll bring you home to live in the kingdom in heaven. But the biggest shocker is this, that that offer is made to you and to everyone and to me through people people who have received that offer make that offer to other people. That's actually a big part of why the church is here. To be a true Christian is to be part of the process of God offering the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a home in heaven to others. Now, let's be honest for a second. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, again, I'm so thrilled that you're joining us today. But you think that is absolutely crazy. I am with you. I get it. The thought of the consistently failing church, the scandal-ridden church. Now, when it comes to the scandals, remember this. 
For every one person who does that stuff, there's 20,000 who aren't. But to, to, to give the, this responsibility to the church and to Christians, taking this message to the world makes many people mock the whole thing. I get that. And so does God. It makes others cringe. However, how do you explain, apart from the resurrection, the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire when you could be killed for saying that Jesus was the king and Caesar was not? How do you explain, despite the failure of Christians throughout the ages, of the church throughout the ages, and the church has done a lot of stupid stuff, mainly because it's been filled of undiscipled disciples, people not taught the truth of the word of God, how do you explain the fact that Christianity continues to roll on simply through the power of this good news of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Simply through the power of his word, the scriptures, and the person of the Holy Spirit. I think for some of us, it might be time who are followers of Jesus. It might be time for us to, to let go of the, well, we're just waiting for God to open their eyes mentality. Because that doesn't fit with what we read here at the end of Matthew's gospel. Followers of Jesus the church and followers of Jesus should be part of a church. If you've been hurt by a church, please, we want, we want to help you with that. Contact us. We understand. The church is the witness. You know, when you go in a, in a courtroom, they call you up as a witness to do what? To tell the truth. The church is the witness of the cross and resurrection, as well as the authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth, and God's desire is for his authority to be obeyed and to be lived out in our lives and in this world. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, you're thinking, maybe we should turn this off. This guy's crazy. That is never going to happen in this world. And I'm not saying that it is. And in saying I'm crazy, you might be right. There'd be others that would agree with you. However, let me draw to your attention. Some of you have prayed for this very thing, the very thing that I just said, many, many times in your life. You say, are you sure about that? Matthew 6.10 says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the church I grew up in, we prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? That is the Lord's prayer. That is the Our Father. Some of us have prayed this countless times in our lives. Little kids we were praying, we didn't even know what we were saying. If you prayed the rosary, you prayed 10 Hail Marys, and then you prayed the Our Father. If you went to confession, you were told to say three Our Fathers. 
Some of you are now washing your hands and saying the Our Father at a time to make sure you're washing 20 seconds. You have prayed this prayer over and over and over again. And since the church has prayed this prayer over and over again, we shouldn't be surprised when God asks us to help bring it about. Because so often we pray, and God says, great, I want to do it. Go. That's what he's going to say to them next week. I want to do it. Do you ever pray that, oh, God, I pray that you would send someone to do this? And God's like, how about you? How big, how great is Jesus' claim to have all authority? 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. God will not share his glory to an, with another, nor my praise to carved images. Jesus is claiming that he shares that glory. What's the proof? Some would say the miracles, but ultimately it is the fact that God raised him from the dead. Really? This whole God, Jesus' God thing is has is, is, is new to me. Let me tell you something. You've probably prayed that thousands of times too. You pray, what do you say? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't say in the names. You say in the name, one name. And we'll look at that next week in verse 19. So important that we understand that. So why does Jesus tell us about his authority? Well, there's many, many reasons. But perhaps in this season, I might just want to highlight one. So we would be motivated to trust him when we are afraid. So when God asks us, but he really doesn't ask us, he commands us to do something. Knowing that we have Jesus' authority, we can lean on Jesus in all situations. That's how faith in Jesus will keep you, loved ones, from being overwhelmed. Faith needs to be tested. Faith needs to be refined in the fire. It needs to be made into something strong, something deep, something beautiful. That's the only way you will become the real deal. Many of you have friends and you say, well, they say they're Christians, but man, they just live like the devil. They're not the real deal. And God uses many things in our lives that we don't like to help to get us to be the real deal. I remember when I was teaching one of my kids to ride a bike. And when I let go, he accused me of trying to kill him. <laughs> and then he went right into a tree. <laughs> but then I said, son, you got to get right back up on that bike. And you got to keep going. And that's the way a lot of life is. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. So 
some of us right now have the advantage of of living uh, uh, with the fact that we've been taught the Word of God for many, many years. So we're living out of a great reserve right now. We're calling upon the name of the Lord as we've been doing for years. For some of you, this is new, but start today and know that He hears you and know that the midst of all your failures, what does He do? Jesus comes. Sadly, when we miss the power and the authority of Christ, the presence of Christ in our lives really begins to mean less to us. And the ability to experience Christ alive in our, in our hearts, his resurrection power in our hearts becomes deeply, deeply compromised or not even able to experience it at all. John 14, at the Last Supper, Jesus said this in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Friend, you have to accept that peace. You have to receive that peace. You have to consciously say, Jesus, I want your peace. The Last Supper, they were hot, man. The religious leaders were looking for them. Everybody, the people wanted to make Jesus the the Messiah. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. The apostles didn't know which end was up. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. So it's a different kind of peace. It's a supernatural kind of peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Friend, I want want to invite you to really let that statement Just soak into your soul. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. That doesn't mean we don't keep washing our hands. That doesn't mean that we don't do good social distancing. That doesn't mean we don't use wisdom. But we continue trust in the Lord who has authority over life and death. Same night, John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me, Jesus says, in me, not any other person, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's just unusual for us to all share it at the same time. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, even death. The Apostle Paul was in jail in Romans chapter 4, and he was telling everybody that Jesus was Lord, Jesus was King. That would mean that he could be subject to the death penalty from Caesar. And he says this, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, some people say that's not true. You can't do all things. That's true. You can't. Some things you just can't do. You can't fly. I like to tease the congregation here. I go down to the football stadium and say, I want to play for the Giants or the Jets today. And they go, well, you can't do that, but you can watch the game go buy a ticket. What What does he mean? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It means, and so important in this season, that God knew was coming that you can do what Christ has called you to do in this season. That Christ will empower you to do what he has for you in this time. 
Next week, we'll look at the particulars of the Great Commission, but the authority of Jesus is the foundation of it and the motivation for it. And once you have found it, or maybe you might say it has found you, there is a God-implanted desire in you to tell others, but it's not because you have to. Honestly, it's because you know this simple fact that Jesus came to you when you needed him most. And it wasn't because he had to. It was because he wanted to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, a lot of people wonder, why do you people love Jesus so much? It's really simple. The Apostle John put it this way, 1 John 4.19. He tells us, we love him because he first loved us. That's why. It's not because we just all of a sudden one day woke up and thought, I just love Jesus. No, we looked at the cross. And we realized that he was dying there in our place, in my place for my sins. Even if the whole world was perfect, Jesus needed to come to die for my sins. And when I realized that was, should have been me. My heart was was drawn to him. My affections were drawn to him. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, let me tell you, God is not waiting for you to get it together. That's why he sent Jesus to you, so you would come close to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and I remember those days, ask yourself, Why has Jesus come to you today? Why are you sitting and and listening or watching this presentation? I can tell you why he came to you. As I said in the beginning, to make a gospel offer to you for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him in heaven. Again, we said it's a free gift, but it comes with a gospel demand, a responsibility to what Jesus has done to repent and believe, to turn from our sins, not that we're going to be perfect, but to turn from our sins and to God, to turn from our way of just doing things our way to doing things God's way, and to put our trust in Jesus instead of our trust in ourselves. Why is that important? It's important because if you don't, your sins remain unforgiven. And if they are unforgiven, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But if you do, a new world will be open to you. There's a very famous verse in the New Testament uh, written by the Apostle Paul, who was once an enemy of Jesus, of, of Christians, and of the church. 
until he met the risen Christ himself. And it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it means if anyone puts their trust in Jesus, he is a new creation. You're new. The old, he says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that can be you today. And simply put your trust in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you can be renewed today with great confidence in the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. Well, let's pray.